the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. I wonder how you feel about surprises. For some of us, they're our idea of fun. For others of you, they might be something nearer to a nightmare. The best feeling in the world or something to be avoided at all costs. Maybe it depends on who the person giving the surprise is. For me, I think surprises go into two halves. I hate the kind of sudden, unexpected jump scare. I am the worst for that. Anybody who has ever lived with me has enjoyed that far too much. (laughs) But I love those kind of unexpected moments where someone really shows that they know you well. Whether that's time, whether that's uh, a gift, whether that's an experience, that surprise that you go, oh, you really do know me. I love those surprises. And in the passage that Bissy just read, we see a surprise. Not the best kind of surprise. It's not a bunch of flowers or a box of chocolates. But nevertheless, when we look closer, it is one that I think actually reveals God's love for these people. In the first chapter of Amos and the beginning of the second that we looked at with Nick last week, Amos built a rhythm. He explored the judgments coming on all the neighbours of Israel. In ever kind of decreasing circles, all the way up to Judah. He built a sense of the utter rightness of these judgments. And as listeners and as readers, I think we're pulled into that, into at least a kind of nodding agreement with God. For the taking of captives, for the selling of communities, for the slaughter of women, for the murder of unborn children, yes, there must be a response. I think we're comfortable with a God of justice here. It shows that God sees, that God knows. As Nick put it beautifully last week, that God's justice has no boundaries. And as the Israelites listened to Amos, I wonder how they felt. Whether there was a slight tinge of smugness about them. That finally, someone had noticed God had seen and justice was coming. Because it's nice, right, to sit on that side of judgment and of justice. To see injustices and go, yes, someone's doing something about it. It's coming for those people over there. But then in today's passage comes the surprise. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back. 
that is not what Amos's audience were expecting. That's not where they were hoping that this was going. It isn't any longer just the surrounding nations that God roars justice into. Now it's them as well. God's roar and thunder for justice includes his own people. God has no favourites. Nobody's behaviour, nobody's actions, nobody's choices stand outside of God's remit for justice. This is an unwanted surprise. But it isn't that jump scare moment. It isn't designed to simply be unpleasant. This is... A surprise given in love to change the way that that nation is behaving. And I wonder, do we sometimes fall into the same trap? It feels like we have an inbuilt sense of justice, of right and of wrong. From a very young age, we feel very strongly when we are wronged. I work as a primary school teacher, and that is probably the most common complaint I get, is it's not fair. And I still have a really, like, visceral response to something that happened when I was at school. More than 20 years ago, I still feel the rage of the day When a boy who unkindly we did call Voldemort was given a certificate and stickers for a successful week of not biting anybody. And I remember the rage because I had never and have still never bitten anybody and I never got a certificate or stickers for it. We have this sense of right and wrong of justice, or at least we do for other people? Do we apply the same measuring stick to ourselves? Or do we spend so long looking at the injustices over there, calling out for God's justice over there, that we miss what's right in front of us. That if we're truly honest, we ignore our own role in injustice. Israel had turned their back on God's justice. Are we willing to ask, have we? This section of Amos 2 points, handily because it's easy to remember, to two things that I think are as true now as they were then. Injustice in this world is an inescapable reality. But God's justice is also inescapable. The people of Israel, God's people, 
had been called to a higher standard. If you do any of the Lectio 365 readings, they have had a really helpful focus this week on justice in the Old Testament. This week we've mostly been in Genesis. And for me, it's been a really helpful reminder that as God established his law, his presence, his identity, his relationship with his people, he set at its heart radical justice. He called these people to look after, to care for, to provide for, to love the foreigner, the orphan, and the widower. To have at the heart of Israel's culture a love, a provision, a care, and a justice for the most vulnerable. And yet, by the time of Amos, that has vanished. That is so far from the reality. These people who had been called by God to a distinctive justice and an identity different to all of the surrounding nations, to be a different society, that's lost, that's gone at this point. Instead, in its place is a system that abuses the weakest in it. Israel, maybe for once in Bible history, finds itself in a time of stability, of prosperity. And yet, internally, its most vulnerable citizens are suffering. So God's roar for justice comes against them as well. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back, says the Lord. And there's something really interesting about how that judgment is then delivered. I am fully disclosure aware that this is a very me, very grammar nerdy point to make. But... I think it's interesting and I think it's important. As I read these chapters in the past few weeks, I noticed something. And yes, you might go, of course you did, Megan, it's about grammar. But the charges laid at the feet of Damascus, of Gaza, of Tyre, of Edom, of Ammon, of Moab, of all of these surrounding nations are appalling heinous atrocities, crimes, injustices. But they are also written as completed past tense actions. Rightly, God's justice is needed for them. Last week, Nick really helpfully and heartbreakingly drew parallels with some of the big headline-hitting injustices we have seen in our world in the past few years. The murders of George (coughs) Floyd and Sarah Everard. But those are not the injustices that we see in this part of chapter 2. What came before were completed actions done, finished. 
whereas when the charges against Israel are read, they are present tense, continuing. They are ongoing choices of injustice. These injustices have become the norm and the backdrop to that society. It reads, they sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. I'd go so far as to say these actions have become the fabric of society. They probably barely even register in the lives and the minds of most people in the nation of Israel. And I think, hard as it may be, that has to force us to consider the same thing in our society too. Where are those places? Where are those injustices that have become so normal that we just don't see them anymore? that they are so ordinary, they will never hit front page news. Because if this chapter teaches us anything, it teaches us that they do not change as injustices. They still receive the same roar from God that this is wrong. God's call for Israel was to provide for, to honour, to love the foreigner, the fatherless and the widower. God's call for us is the same. There are more surprises to come in this passage for Israel and for us. They just keep on rolling. Yes, injustice is inescapable. But so is God's justice. In verses 9 to 11, we see God's list of all the ways that he has provided for the people of Israel. It feels like God's lament. This is what we had. This is where we were. And now? How? There's a question that God asks. He says, is this not true, people of Israel? There feels for me like an almost desperation there. How did we get this far out of step from what this was meant to be? And from then on, we see God's response to the injustices carried out at the hands of the nation of Israel. It's not an easy read. There's no grey areas to hide in here. God's justice is coming. 
But it's really interesting, the list of people who Amos uses to show that God's justice is inescapable. The swift, the strong, the archer, the soldier, the swordsman, the bravest warrior. Those are the people you want in a fight, right? It feels in my head like those kind of Lord of the Rings battle scenes where they all line up and they're like ready with their horses. It feels like who you want in a fight in your corner. But God is clear. Strength, skill, intelligence, power, authority, none of those things will stop his justice. As I mentioned a minute ago, Israel found itself in a time of stability, of influence and of affluence. And that is where they were building their identity. There's a sense of feeling untouchable, unbreakable. But through Amos, God says, no. There is no one and nothing that can stand against my justice. No battle formation, no lineup that will defeat it. God has no favourites. God's justice is inescapable. But where does that leave us? I guess kind of with a tale of two halves. There is an incredible relief, peace and assurance to the knowledge that God God's justice is there for all. That there is no situation we care about, we face, we pray for, we witness or we experience. That God's justice is not in. Nothing falls outside of God's guaranteed justice. But neither do we. And I don't know about you, but all too often, my life does not measure up to that call. To the call to be a people of justice. Too often, my decisions are based off choices of comfort and ease and security. Over justice and righteousness. Because they come at a greater cost. And I have to acknowledge, and I think we have to acknowledge, that God's rule of justice comes against that as well. And that if, as we listen and pray and take part in this series, and as we say, let justice roll, that includes sweeping away my injustice. And that includes sweeping away your injustice too. The story for the people of Israel continues in the rest of the book of Amos, and I'm going to leave that for the coming weeks. But God doesn't leave us in this place either. 
we started by talking about surprises. I don't think we can talk about justice and surprises in church without the greatest surprise of all. Jesus. That God would choose to come is the greatest surprise of all. Even for those of you who hate surprises, I think you'd take that one. Because it is through Jesus, through God himself come as a person, that we are invited not just to face up to the inescapableness, or actually what I have here is a better typo, the inescapable mess of injustice. (laughs) That's better. Not just to face up to the inescapable mess of injustice or the inescapableness of God's justice, but through Jesus and our identity in him to take our place as bringers of justice. In a world with a backdrop of everyday, ordinary, normal, silent injustices, we are invited to love our neighbour as ourselves and to let justice roll through that.